Gupta, and welcome everyone. Uh, we appreciate you taking time today to attend our water resource recovery webinar, Controlling Aeration Costs in Wastewater Treatment Facilities with Online Measurements. The title slide here shows a couple graphics I want to introduce to you. On the bottom left is the aeration pattern from the aeration tank of a well-designed, well-operated biological nutrient removal facility. And on the bottom right-hand uh, corner is the a diagram of a DO control system with uh, the many components involved in that. We'll talk about it in more detail later on in the webinar. Activated sludge process control. So the two main components, as you all already know, of an activated sludge system are the aeration tank and the final settling tank. And if you've attended any of our webinars or read any of our uh, application notes and such in the past, you already know that the three keys to controlling activated sludge are aeration, sludge wasting, and sludge recirculation. Today's webinar focuses on the aeration part of that. Future webinars will address sludge wasting and sludge recirculation. Aeration objectives are twofold. One is oxygen supply. We put oxygen into the water to create desirable conditions for microorganism growth. If there is not enough aeration or too low of oxygen, we have a situation that could occur as incomplete nitrification, and that would be bad, for example, if you have an uh, ammonia limit. Also, it can lead to the growth of uh, filamentous bacteria, which interfere with uh, your sedimentation process, and so can lead to violations of TSS, BOD, and nutrients, as uh, particulates contain all of those. It is possible to add too much oxygen, and that's really the motivation for today's webinar, because too much uh, waste energy. The aeration system is the biggest energy consumer in most wastewater treatment plants or water resource recovery facilities, and also has can physically break up flocks such that uh, a condition called pin flock may occur, leading to uh, TSS violations, and under certain conditions, uh, foaming, which can also have detrimental effects on biological treatment. The other objective, then, is mixing. And so we'll talk about this a little bit more, but basically there's a minimum amount of mixing energy that must be put in so that the organisms and their food can get together. Um, above that, usually it would be the oxygen supply that would dictate how much aeration uh, is needed. So beginning with aeration system monitoring, if we take a look at historical guidelines for DO monitoring, uh, you are limited to grab samples uh, and portable, some, and sometimes portable handheld measurements, but the guidelines were to measure DO at the end of your aeration tank every two hours and to keep that DO concentration between one and three milligram DO per liter. And then every one to six months, you'd want to profile the DO in the basins 
both the, lo the location in the reactor and the depth, uh, different days and times. Um, as we know, a DO concentration is, is not constant over the entire basin, and the loading uh, changes daily, weekly, and seasonally. Visual observation of uniformity of aeration pattern has been, been used, and that's, that's an easy one to do, and uh, one that we uh, demonstrated in the first slide. And more recently, daily measurements of ammonia. So in the simplest case, that was, this would be grab samples and photometer measurements. Online process monitoring, though, has the capability to provide you continuous information as to uh, how much dissolved oxygen is in your water. And this, this picture is an FDO 700 IQ optical DO sensor. It's an exploded view on the top of there. And um, the uh, angled piece there is the sensor cap. And that sensor cap is replaceable and is warrantied for two years. Uh, it's an inexpensive replacement. When it does come around, um, it is also factory calibrated, so most of our customers will have uh, calibration-free experience throughout the life of their sensor cap. Simple maintenance. Uh, much different from the traditional electrochemical style probe. There's, there's no uh, membranes to replace. It's completely dry inside there, so there's no elect electrolyte, no electrodes to polish. Um, Feature of the IQ sensor, or the FDO, uh, identical measurement and reference optics. Basically, what that means is, is longer life of the sensor cap and more accurate measurements. And it is part of IQ sensor net, which is a modular uh, network system that allows you to add on to your uh, monitoring system very simply, uh, add probes and functions when you need them and keep using the hardware you originally bought. It is also a digital system so that it offers plug and play capability. Basically, you plug one of these probes into the system and it's automatically recognized and starts measuring without any, in many cases, without any user input at all. When it comes to measuring DO, whether it's with a handheld or an online process monitor, uh, air bubbles are one of the biggest interference. And this chart is a, a little demonstration we did to show that effect. The blue line is the angled FDO sensor cap by YSI, and the red line is a competitor's sensor. Both of these sensors are in the nose-down position. And uh, we've had experiences where uh, our customers doubted the accuracy of our reading because it was so much lower with the sensor that they were already using. And uh, the reason for this is that with a flat sensor cap, nose down in the basin, those bubbles get trapped on the underside of the cap and lead to an overestimate of the oxygen concentration and also uh, a noisy reading. The benefit then of the angled sensor cap is that those bubbles don't have a chance to stick to the sensor cap. Basically, they slide off and are not, do not cause an interference. But prove this to yourself. We've done this demonstration multiple times. Take, a, take your handheld and uh, zip tie it to the cable and lower the handheld in the basin. 
uh, nose up. Uh, and you will find that the DO concentration that you measured with the sensor in the nose up position is lower than it was with the nose down position. Um, and that is actually exactly the case with the chart on the left. We took the competitor sensor, did the same thing, put it nose up in the basin, lowered it down, and uh, we got those results right there. Basically, the IQ sensor net and the competitor sensor agreed very closely, so ours was, was correct all along. The next subject then is with DO monitoring, now it opens up possibilities for actually controlling aeration. And there's two basic methods. There's on-off with a timer or a sensor for feedback control. And there's also continuous feedback control. We'll talk about each of these. Very briefly on on-off aeration, basically your aerator is turned on to achieve treatment goals and or when that is achieved, it's turned off then to save energy. Uh, you can also use it to create anoxic conditions for denitrification or recover alkalinity. Traditionally, this has been with some sort of a, a timer, very uh, practical method for very small plants, packaged plants. But even those small plants could benefit from online process monitoring by uh, tying a probe into a relay that then uh, compares the set point and then up activates the blower or aerator on or off depending on that DO concentration. With timer control, um, as I said, it, it is practical and will save energy, but you will miss out on what is happening with the DO concentration. And, le and let me show this example here, the red uh, line is the ammonia concentration and the black line is the DO concentration. And so you can see that when the ammonia is depleted, the DO concentration spikes. I mean, basically the oxygen demand has, is gone. And during, this is a, the chart is the course of one day so that at the right hand side of the chart is towards the end of the day or overnight when loadings are lowest. Basically the ammonia concentration is already very low and it may be, it would be unnecessary to even turn on the blower at that point. So improved efficiency is possible with online measurement of DO or ammonium or, or nitrate. One thing that uh, will help with that though is uh, to prevent overcycling of the aerator is to use relays with limit indicators to minimize those cycles. And that's something that's built into the IQ sensor net. So if you've got a, a uh, IQ sensor net system, you can program, program that in without an expensive PLC. The rest of the webinar is going to be focused on continuous feedback control. And this diagram is a uh, feedback, continuous feedback control system with uh, DO probes, controllers, valves, something that looks like a blower, uh, and and such, and each of these things is, is important to uh, continuous feedback control. Um, maybe not necessarily all of them are going to be in every control system, although the DO, the DO probe will be in most of these systems. 
Taking a look then at a case study from a customer of ours that is a conventional activated sludge facility who um, many years ago overhauled their aeration system, their, their blowers, uh, air diffusers, etc. And at that time also decided to invest in uh, automatic DO control to reduce energy and to improve overall performance. And so their system consists of uh, one DO probe per aeration grid, and there's two aeration grids per tank, so eight DO probes total. And they have programmed set points for each tank, and uh, basically um, tank five there, for example, the set point is two milligram per liter, and that is the average of those two probes in the tank there. The tanks five through seven are tapered, and this is a pretty common configuration. Uh, basically, you provide more DO at the front of the basin where the load is highest, and then you uh, provide less DO at the back end of the basin where there is uh, more, most of the waste has been consumed. A little interesting twist on this one, though, in tank four, or tank eight in this case, I should say. Um, sorry for the confusion. It is a reverse taper. And in this case, they um, run a set point of one milligram per liter at the front end and two milligram per liter at the back end. And this is, for them, provides better settling properties for their sludge. They do not remove nutrients biologically, so that is not uh, a detriment to their system. So here is some DO monitoring from their uh, system. There's, there's eight lines there one for each of their probes, and um, starting out uh, with the, the blue line at the bottom, that is actually the probe at the front end of the basin. And what it shows is that, is that there's unable to get sufficient oxygen into the front end of that tank. This is a conventional plug flow facility, so all the load comes into tank five, and basically they just can't get enough air in there to consume the uh, load. So couple of solutions for that. One would be to uh, add additional diffusers to that tank, basically increase the diffuser density, or if they had the capability, they could switch to a step feed type operation to distribute the load down the basin. This uh, customer originally bought trioxmatic probes with the IQ sensor net. These are the traditional electrochemical probes, but is tr transitioning to optical probes which is very simple for them because it's a digital system. Basically, they remove the old probes from their cables, and they put the new optical probes on the cables. And as I mentioned, those probes are automatically recognized into the system. They simply uh, delete the old probe, and they're good to go. Um, with the new optical probes, then, really, the operator's only duty is routine cleaning. And so a common question, of course, is how often am I going to have to clean these sensors? And the answer is typically, well, it's going to depend on the application. And this uh, chart right here illustrates uh, how different applications will affect your cleaning frequency. Um, so if you, if you look at the, the little smear kind of in the middle of the chart there, uh, which indicates uh, a point where DOs were the probes were removed from the basin for cleaning. You know, normally, we would recommend that the system be put into a maintenance condition um, so that uh, 
basically you won't get this effect on the on the uh, SCADA system. But nonetheless, that wasn't what was done here, and it, and it provides a convenient way for us to identify where that probe cleaning took place. So once again, focusing on the blue uh, line, we see that before the cleaning, uh, at the far left of the chart, the DO concentration was very low. After the cleaning, at the far right of the chart then, the actual DO concentration was a little higher. Now this wasn't necessarily because there was lower loading in the basin at that time. Uh, basically it was an effect of removing some of that biomass accumulation and uh, basically removing an interference from the DO measurement. The other probes there don't show the same effect. And as, as I said, that front end of that basin really is the most highest loaded, so the, the fastest, the most growth and the most potential for fouling. Downstream, uh, the probes uh, do not foul as quickly, and maybe uh, they could clean those at less frequent intervals. Another case study for a customer of ours that does biological nutrient removal is described here. Um, there, uh, they recently converted to a uh, modified Johannesburg configuration, which allows them to do uh, both nitrogen removal and phosphorus removal biologically in one tank. And so, the the at that time, they also went to a uh, automated DO control system for energy efficiency and to optimize their process. They have four bioreactors of this configuration, and each bioreactor has five DO probes. Uh, the DO probes are located at the back end of each aerated zone uh, near the control valve. They also practice a tapered aeration configuration so that it's 2.5 milligram per liter at the front end um, and 1 milligram per liter at the back end. And this is an important pattern because they do biological nitrogen removal. If there's excessive dissolved oxygen at the tail end of the aeration tank, uh, it's going to get carried over into the pre-anoxic zone with the return activated sludge. And basically, uh, that will interfere with denitrification. This customer also has several other sensors to help them with their uh, process. They have a NitroViz TS sensor at the end of their anoxic zone to help them monitor the denitrification process. We won't talk about this probe in detail today, but it is a optical style probe um, basically that uh, is, um, measures nitrate and total suspended solids with, with a single probe. They have another NitroViz downstream as well as a P700 phosphate analyzer. These are not in the aeration tank, but they're downstream, and again, that also helps them to monitor the process and make sure that things are doing uh, just as they're supposed to. So with biological nutrient removal, everything is important. So, uh, you know, they, besides monitoring DO, they're also monitoring many other things. But the important thing is, is that uh, they, they tell us we trust the DO, it is right on. And as I said, this was after their experience with the traditional electrochemical probes. When they had some sort of a uh, 
something strange in their system that they couldn't explain, they usually, the first thing they would check is the DO sensor. So they might spend a half day cleaning, calibrating and such, making sure that the DO probe is okay before they went further in their troubleshooting. With the optical DO, now they're able, they really don't need to spend any, any time troubleshooting that. And so they can do other things like uh, do profile, nutrient profiles on their uh, bioreactors. Now these are grab samples done with uh, photometer tests, but um, they do them weekly to keep an eye on their process. Each line is a different tank. I mentioned they have four, four bioreactors through from pre-anoxic on the left through the end of the aerobic zone on the right. And this chart shows the soluble phosphorus concentration from in those grab samples. And so in the anaerobic zone, which is the second over from the left, we see a spike in, uh, in phosphate, which is what we uh, would expect and what we want to happen. But then going into this swing anoxic and early aerobic zones where oxygen is first or aeration is first introduced and oxygen is first added to the process, uh, we see a very fast depletion of that uh, phosphorus. And, and that's what we want as well. And that's the reason why they maintain a higher deal concentration at the front, at the, in the very first aerated zone, as shown in the previous chart. Another important uh, measurement for monitoring aeration and aeration system is ammonium. And ammonium is important for uh, more than one reason. And although DO technology, at least the electrochemical style, has been on the market for, for many years, uh, decades in fact, uh, the ability to measure uh, ammonium and nitrate online with a probe is reliably is a pretty recent innovation. And so this picture here shows an example of one uh, part of the IQ sensor net. Um, the probe is actually shown in the picture is actually called a varian, which I call a two-in-one because it measures both ammonium and nitrate on a single probe head. We have other versions that measure just nitrate and just ammonium. Um, this probe is reagentless, meaning that there's no, uh, it's, not, it's not a cabinet analyzer, there's no reagents to add, and there's no uh, solutions to refill like in other ISEs. Superior performance, and this is verified independently from multiple sources. And this superior performance is the reason we can offer a one-year warranty on these replaceable electrodes. There are, uh, as you can see from the picture, there are four ports, and one of those is a, is a reference electrode, but uh, you can add three other electrodes, including uh, potassium or chloride, for improved measurement accuracy, as those are interferences. And the probe is fully immersible. All of the picture right there shows it out of the water. That whole probe piece can be under the water, which is not a feature of all of our competition. And there are no cartridges or complicated assembly required. Basically, what you see there uh, is a hexagonal-shaped uh, head which uh, with a special tool easily threads into uh, 
any one of three ports. So very simple electrode exchange. One of our, uh, before we sold the one customer though, they proved, they uh, made us prove that the, the probe worked. And so this is a chart from a demonstration that they did on a trial that we provided. They took it to one of their client facilities that also had a cabinet analyzer and they compared the ammonia measurements. The purple line is the Varian, the ISE probe measurement, and the blue line is the cabinet analyzer measurement. Alongside, they also took grab samples and made photometer measurements with a lab colorimeter. And although the cabinet analyzer and the ISE measurements are not right on top of one another, interestingly, the uh, grab sample lab colorimeter samples are more often than not closer to the ISE than they are to the uh, cabinet analyzer. So this proved enough to this customer that they have since bought uh, several additional ammonium and nitrate probes. So I mentioned uh, ammonium is very important for multiple reasons and uh, here is part of the explanation. This chart shows the reaction rate versus dissolved oxygen concentration and this curve here is for uh, nitrification and so we can see that the higher the DO concentration, the higher the rate of nitrification. But at a DO of 2 milligram per liter, you've reached almost 85% of the maximum velocity. Adding additional DO beyond that 2 milligram per liter uh, does not have much benefit. So really, in this area, we would say energy is being wasted. Interestingly, BOD removal actually can operate just fine at even lower dissolved oxygen concentrations. And this has a couple of important consequences. One of them is that um, you could restrict the DO to limit nitrification. If you don't have an ammonia permit, there's no need to provide the oxygen for nitrification. Or if you do need to do nitrification, um, you know that if, if you run it at a, at a DO sufficient for nitrification, uh, BOD removal is also assured. And so a case study here for a customer of ours, which is a trickling filter solids contact facility. Um, this uh, screen is from their, their SCADA. Uh, basically, these the three tanks are in operation here. Return activated sludge comes into this tank right here and flows down here where it mixes with um, the trickling filter effluent which comes in over here on the left hand side and goes through the RAS and the uh, trickling filter effluent then together go through tanks SCT5 and SCT6. Um, they measure DO online in, in all, six, all three of those basins. The chart on the bottom left then is DO monitoring from SCT RA2. In this basin is where the return activated sludge only is being introduced and it's necessary to keep a high DO in there basically because the, the bugs are, are hungry, hungry and to get them activated and ready to uh, consume the waste. And so they keep a DO of 2 milligram per liter in that basin. Downstream though in the chart on the bottom right there is 
for SCT-5. And in that basin, they want to limit nitrification, so they keep a very low DO concentration, in this case, 0.5 milligram per liter. And there are other probes in the basin, although not tied into loops, control loops. On the, in the right-hand panel on the top is the ammonia exiting SCT-5 and SCT-6. And this ammonia is consistently high as they want it. They also measure uh, nitrate in the influent and effluent. And they also use an optical-style nitrovis probe that measures nitrate uh, optically. And so the two lines there, it doesn't matter which is which, but the point is they should be, if their system is doing what it's supposed to do, those lines should be just about right on top of one another because they do not want nitrification to occur. If nitrification occurs, the nitrate is going to be higher in the effluent than it is in the influent. So uh, other benefits, so in terms of directly controlling DO in terms of the ammonium concentration, if you do have an ammonia effluent limit in your permit, this chart helps to show some of the benefit. The ammonia effluent concentration is on the vertical axis versus time. And just in general, uh, without ammonia DO control is the blue line. With ammonia DO control is the gray line. And the dark line then is the ammonia effluent target. And so during the day, because loads vary, you can see that the ammonia concentration goes up and down. Uh, because the DO concentration is not being adjusted to handle the additional load. That may be acceptable, but what happens in terms of the energy consumed is overnight, again, this is the same, same chart here, overnight without ammonia DO control, that ammonia concentration may be well below the target limit. So that with ammonia DO control, again, the, uh, the gray line, um, less aeration is provided, less energy is consumed, and uh, energy savings are realized. This chart, then, is an example of an ammonium feedback system, cascade control system. And it's, it's not the only type of control system out there, but it is uh, one of the uh, more effective ones. And in this case, the left-hand side there is uh, similar to the DO control system I showed you with DO probes, controllers, and valves and such. But on the right-hand side then is the um, ammonium control component. And so by setting this, this controller on top of your DO controller and measure the, measuring the ammonium online, that controller can calculate the DO set point. For example, if the ammonium is high, a higher DO set point is provided to speed up the reaction. If the ammonium is low, a lower DO set point is possible because um, the reaction is, is nearly complete. One of the most common questions we get about using ammonium for a DO control is, is where to put the sensor. Um, a lot of utilities uh, will not invest in ammonium sensors at all the locations that they will put DO sensors, and in this case, it becomes a question of the best place to locate that ammonium sensor. Generally, uh, we try to recommend locating the ammonium, system, ammonium sensor 
not at the end of the basin, but further upstream for two reasons. One reason is is that if we look at uh, flow from left to right, you realize that um, the time it takes for the load to actually reach the front of the basin or the end of the basin could be several hours. So your control system will be uh, out of phase with the actual wastewater loading. The second reason is that if at the end of the basin is where you want to meet your, your target. And so if your ammonium concentration is always below your target, there's really uh, no basis for control. Basically, um, there's, there's no way to know um, if you're where it is that you're providing too much aeration. This chart is from then uh, our sister company, Sanitaire, who um, builds and programs uh, ammonium DO control systems. And what this shows is uh, they have the opportunity to run two parallel trains, one with ammonium DO control and one without ammonium DO control. The lower line chart on the chart is actually the line with the ammonium DO control. Basically, uh, what they were able to do was run at a lower DO set point because they knew that their ammonium concentration was always within their, their targets. Um, they did have, it could have been programmed to, uh, well, it was programmed to provide a higher DO set point in the event of a higher ammonium concentration, but those concentrations were never experienced. They weren't expecting that. At the end, though, uh, what this ended up with compared to just DO control alone was another 8% energy savings. Doesn't sound like a lot, but again, when you consider that aeration is usually the single most energy consumer in a wastewater treatment plant, then those energy savings are, can be quite substantial. Uh, another case study for a customer of ours then was uh, someone who tried uh, a trial of a feed-forward control system. So unlike feedback control system, which kind of measure the response, the feed-forward concentration is really measuring the loading. So in this case, an ammonium probe is put at the front end of the basin, and uh, the measurement from that is compared with an ammonium set point and an NH4 controller that then directly controls uh, a aeration valve. And so below their set point, the uh, system would be set to minimum airflow to provide the minimum required mixing. Above the set point, airflow was programmed to be proportional to that ammonium concentration. So the higher the ammonium concentration, the higher the airflow. With this uh, strategy, they demonstrated 17% energy savings compared with the uh, utilities uh, previous control system, which had been basically constant airflow control. Basically, they set the airflow and did not adjust it based on uh, online measurements. So this chart then is from that demonstration study, and the red line is the uh, inlet ammonium nitrogen, the upstream ammonium, and the blue line is the airflow. And so we can see when the ammonium uh, goes up, the airflow goes up in step with it so that it's always in sync with the loading. When ammonium goes down, then 
the uh, airflow does not go any lower than the minimum airflow setting. And this is important to provide the uh, required amount of mixing, uh, and in some cases, uh, the diffusers actually require a minimum amount of airflow. So they were able to save energy at the higher times and provide the other requirements during lower uh, loadings. A few concluding remarks. Although we didn't exactly quantify in, in absolute numbers how much savings was possible, and it's going to be different for every utility, uh, this chart helps to demonstrate uh, how much DO control can save in terms of energy costs. And so this chart shows the effect of the uh, DO concentration on the cost of aeration. And so the red line is the DO concentration compared to the uh, cost. And the black line is actually the multiplier. So if we run at a DO concentration of two, which is kind of the recommended range, there is no additional cost for that. Basically, that is our target. But for a utility that might operate at, say, a four and a half milligram per liter DO, they would spend one and a half times as much money on aeration energy as they would for the facility operating at a two milligram per liter DO set point. In an extreme example, uh, the cost to run at an eight milligram per liter set point is over four times as much in terms of energy as the cost to run at a two milligram per liter set point. So hopefully by now uh, you see the benefits and are motivated to move ahead with a monitoring and control project. But keep in mind these keys to a successful project. You have to understand your process. Uh, I think uh, that is very critical and uh, in fact we have customers that have uh, ordered their monitoring system first uh, and got a better idea of their system dynamics by moving that, very simple to move that system around so they could measure their uh, process at different points in order to properly design their control system. Uh, plan. You can start small or go big. So it has been demonstrated that maybe the cheapest thing or least expensive thing you can do to get online, uh, get towards saving money is to buy uh, a DO sensor and start to control based on that reading. On the other hand, if you're uh, in line for an a upgrade for other parts of the system, you can design the system perfectly as it should be uh, in order to get the most benefit. And of course, there's going to be, uh, with the bigger projects, there's definitely going to be a lot more uh, moving parts, if you will. Uh, the equipment, probes, blowers, valves, etc. There's going to be a lot of people involved as well, consultants, integrators, and not the least of which is the operation maintenance staff at your facility. And so uh, a customer of ours who has uh, very much uh, had uh, embraced the automation of his facility told me this, uh, proper implementation requires a long-term relationship. Champion it, believe in it, get it right, 
and then get staff on board. And he has had a very successful uh, automation program with his facility. Well, I want to thank you all for spending some time this afternoon with us. We enjoyed uh, the opportunity to share uh, our knowledge of process and the IQ SensorNet with you. There are several ways to find out more information, beginning shortly with your opportunity to uh, ask questions. Hopefully, you've been asking questions all along. But there's also resources on the web, SlideShare, YouTube, and, of course, over telephone and email. Uh, thanks again, and we'll, uh, we have some time for questions. Great. Yeah, we had some really good questions come in. Um, my plant uses YSI DO probes in three mixed liquor containing aeration basins. Currently, they are 2.48 to 3.17 milligrams per liter. Another aeration basin is 5.80 milligrams per liter. DO. After cascade aeration stairs, our effluent is over 9.0 milligrams per liter frequently and now 9.8 milligrams per liter. Is this excessive aeration? Yeah, uh, good question and, and thank you. Uh, so um, what's the right uh, DO concentration for your facility is always the question. Now I would almost always say that anything above two is too much with the exception being biological phosphorus removal facilities who may need to keep uh, 3 milligram per liter or even higher at the front end of their tanks. Um, but the reality is a lot of facilities um, desire to maintain a lower DO concentration, but because of physical limitations in their system, maybe turn down to the blower or uh, the ability to actually adjust base and air valves, can only get to a certain concentration. So. Uh, sometimes practical considerations intervene, and which means that you, at least until you have the opportunity to fix that with a, a project, you're kind of stuck with uh, maybe an inefficient aeration system. Thank you. Could you provide more information on sensor location? Yeah, as I said, that's that's always um, when we're we're out and about places and such. That's always a question that's important, and usually it's in with regards to the um, ammonium sensor location. So I'll address that. And uh, so I, I think we 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 gave a, a couple different approaches in in the presentation today, um, but I think. Uh, it's, it's still going to be, it's not one of those things that's, that's going to be application specific. And what I would recommend is, um, again, understand your process, uh, doing some profiling of your basins. If you don't already have an online uh, uh, monitoring system with uh, handhelds, uh, photometer tests, you can really learn a lot by how your process reacts. And then uh, once you understand process, then I think it's the right time to start uh, deciding the best place for uh, the sensor. Good question. Sorry I can't give more definite um, answer, but uh, we did give a, a couple of examples. 
I thought ORP was going to be covered. How does ORP fit into the control equation? Um, and another part of this question is how or what are the advantages of DO over ORP? Yeah, thanks for that question. Uh, you know, it, when we first started planning this webinar, I had decided I had I had planned to actually talk about ORP, but uh, basically, no other explanation than we just didn't have enough time. Uh, we really wanted to cover DO and ammonium. Uh, we did cover ORP, however, last fall in a webinar, which uh, you should be able to retrieve an archive. An archive version is available online, but. Uh, that out of the way, I'll try and answer your question. Um, so uh, ORP has been uh, a, a, an associate of mine uh, referred to ORP as kind of a, a negative DO sensor. So uh, the benefit of, of ORP is is where um, maybe DO concentrations are very low. So for example, 0.3 milligram per liter or less, which might be the case in an anoxic zone. And in that case, um, it really doesn't tell you as much about the process. In that, in that case, ORP can tell you um, the extent of, of what's happening, whether it be nitrification or denitrification, um, biological peer removal, and in that zone is where um, ORP provides a lot more resolution of, of what's going on. Um, because uh, the ORP measurement itself um, it's not an absolute measurement, but it's a relative measurement of whether the uh, basin is in oxic conditions. That means um, if it's in oxic condition, it means there's lots of DO. Obviously, a DO sensor would be adequate for that. But if it's in anoxic or anaerobic, as I said, those lower DO concentrations, um, take, for example, the condition where you're at a zero DO concentration. Is it anoxic? Is it anaerobic? It's hard to say. However, if you have a, a track record or a history of your ORP, you'll be able to understand uh, what that means to your process. Long answer, um, but uh, it is a, a pretty complicated question. Okay, on to the next question. When mixing becomes the limiting factor, should mechanical mixers be installed to allow lower DO but maintain mixing? Yes. Um, a lot of facilities do not have those mixers already, so um, it can be a barrier to implementing uh, a uh, more a better control system because it also means you're going to have to be buying, uh, for, for instance, submersible mixers so that you can completely turn off the aeration system. Um, but it is definitely, you know, on on the track to getting higher. Uh, treatment efficiency. The other consideration is also depending on the style of diffuser you have, uh, some of them cannot run uh, with, um, basically you have to always put some uh, air through them so that they don't plug. So, you know, that could be another uh, barrier for some customers is not having having to also upgrade the aeration system. So, yeah, as I said, you know, you, you, you can start small uh, and, you know, that can simply be with a, a probe and a simple control program. But then, uh, you know, gradually or at once you're going to go big and get all those things taken care of, including uh, submersible mixers 
for higher efficiency. Okay, um, another question is, what is the difference between anoxic and anaerobic? Uh, an excellent question. Um, you know, it's, uh, we didn't really address it in this, in this webinar. Again, there was a lot of content. We had to skip over a lot of things. But, um, so the difference between anoxic and anaerobic is really simple. Basically, um, both of them are the case where there is very low or no DO present. However, anoxic is a condition where nitrates are present. Under anaerobic condition, uh, nitrates and DO are both near zero. Um, incidentally, there's, there's more uh, that, that's addressed in more detail in, in our archived webinars on, on, for instance, on ORP and um, also on the uh, we did a phosphorus control webinar last year as well. Good question. Okay. What level of DO is too low? We are running our DO levels at or around 0.2 to 0.5 milligrams per liter. We run three sections with an online DO in each section. Um. I don't, I don't know that there is an absolutely too low uh, DO concentration, except one that doesn't allow you to meet your uh, treatment goals. Um, in, in terms of energy efficiency, you, you want to run, all other things being equal, you want to run as low of a DO concentration as possible while still meeting treatment goals. Um, so th that's not a simple question to answer, um, I guess uh, that, that will be application specific as well. Um, again, but if it is nitrification you're trying to achieve, uh, a, a lower DO concentration could compromise uh, the ability to, to do nitrification. Okay, kind of along the same topic, is it possible for denitrification to occur even if DO is not zero? Uh, the simple answer to that question is yes. Um, so uh, if you think of denitrification the same way you think of nitrification, uh, basically the, the higher the denitrification rate, the lower the DO concentration, the higher de denitrification rate. But denitrification will still occur at, say, just throwing out a number here, one milligram per liter of DO. It'll be a very slow, but it still could occur. And another thing to consider is that um, your bacteria are not kind of floating around as loners in your tank. They're, they're part of larger communities called flocks that um, actually uh, the outsides of these flocks are in contact with kind of the bulk solution where the DO is present. But Inside the inside of these flocks, and depends on their their size and such, um, there can be very low DO concentrations. So um, that is one of the explanations for the observance of simultaneous nitrification and denitrification. So um, the only way to know is to actually uh, measure the in and out and to, to figure out what's going on in, in your in your basin. 
How often do you have to clean the probes to keep accurate readings? Uh, another good question, another common question, and it is uh, really dependent on your, your process. Um, for starters, we generally recommend weekly maintenance in terms of cleaning on our sensors. Um, but you're going to learn the longer you own, own the probes, uh, you know whether or not that's having an effect on the measurement. And if it's if the cleaning doesn't seem to to matter, you know you can maybe stretch out that cleaning interval. Um, I think the example I showed earlier with the, the the probes at the front end of the basin maybe will need a, a higher cleaning frequency than the probes at the back end of the basin. Um, the other consideration too is that uh, too much cleaning maybe is better than not enough. <laughs> if you've got a routine standard operating procedure that uh, you know everybody agrees to and understands, you know sometimes it's easier just to just to just to follow those and. Uh, um, you know, that way everybody knows what's being done and when it's being done and, and that it is being done. So um, it, it will depend on your process, though. Thanks for the question. I think we'll do one more question. How do you make a decision between feed forward and feed backward ammonia control for a facility? That is an excellent question, um, I'm, and I might not answer it. <laughs> um, I think it really depends. So um, feedback is, is a simpler control system, simpler programming, uh, probably less hardware, less expensive to implement. Um, however, a feed-forward control system offers the benefit, in principle at least, to offer the greatest savings. As, as we demonstrated in the webinar. Um, but as I said, it will be a little more complicated because in order to do a feed forward, you're also going to need a flow measurement because feed forward is really based more on loading than concentration. And the second element you're going to need is a model. And you know people sometimes freak out when they hear the word model, but it doesn't have to be a complicated model, but some sort of model is needed so that you can actually predict how much air you have to uh, put into the basin based on that upstream ammonia reading. And the third thing, and the reason sometimes it's more expensive, is that uh, models aren't perfect, and so it's very common to also put a sensor at the back end of the basin for feedback control, so you've got feed forward and feedback, and so that feedback sensor then would correct for any errors in the model and uh, make sure that you always meet your treatment goals. Good question. Well, we really appreciate you attending today's webinar. This will, the link will be sent to you uh, two days following today's webinar and uh, will also be placed um, in our archives on our website. Please don't hesitate to um, contact us if you have any questions, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at a future webinar. Thank you.